Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, as we read the verses 34 to 38. Hear the Word of God. When he, that is Jesus, had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Thus far the reading of the word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? For many professing Christians today, to be a follower of Jesus means little more than signing a card, putting your hand up at a revival meeting, praying the so-called sinner's prayer. For others, it means no more than attending church, observing some religious rituals, praying, reading your Bible, and periodically going on a short-term missions trip. But nothing could be further from the truth. Being a follower of Jesus means much more than that. It means being willing to give up everything for him, being willing to do anything, to go anywhere, and to suffer any hardship for his sake and the sake of the gospel. This is precisely what our Lord teaches us in the words of our text, Mark 8, verses 34 to 38. Jesus here sets forth what it means to follow him. And it's to these words that we turn our attention with the help of the Lord. My theme is following Jesus. We'll consider, first of all, the requirement, secondly, the reward, and thirdly, the reckoning. Jesus in our text declares, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. To come after Christ means to become a disciple, a follower of Christ. It means to walk in his footsteps, to do what he says, to live the way he wants you to live. Now all true Christians desire to come after Christ to live as a disciple of Christ. And that desire has been planted in their heart by the Holy Spirit. In fact, it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that anyone can desire to follow Christ. And that's because, by nature, we have no desire to follow him. We want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing. We want to think our own thoughts. But when the Holy Spirit begins to work in our heart, he changes us. He transforms us from being a follower of the devil and the world and self to a follower of Jesus Christ. 
But as Jesus goes on to say, following him is no simple matter. In fact, it is very difficult. Jesus says as much in our text. Here in our text, Jesus sets forth three basic requirements for being one of his disciples. And the first is self-denial. The person who desires to become one of Jesus' disciples must deny himself. Jesus says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Now, to to deny oneself means to turn one's back on one's own desires and inclinations. It means doing what God wants you to do and to live the way God wants you to live. In other words, to deny oneself means to make God the number one priority in your life and to do anything and make any sacrifice in order to please and glorify him. Now it goes without saying that that is not easy. By nature, our number one priority is ourselves. We think that we are the most important being in the world and that everything else revolves around us and exists to serve us. But Jesus says no. Jesus says if you want to be one of my disciples, you can no longer be at the center. I must be at the center. I must be your number one priority in life. You must live for me and me alone. My friend, is that true for you today? Is Jesus Christ your number one priority in life? When faced with the decision to do what you want to do and what he wants you to do, what do you normally choose? If you are living mostly for yourself, you are not one of his disciples. The second basic requirement for following Christ is cross-bearing. Jesus says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Now in ancient times, a person who was condemned to death by hanging on a cross was literally required to take up his cross. He was required to carry the cross, or at least the crossbeam of the cross, to the place of execution, as Jesus himself would do when he was crucified. Now, Jesus uses the cross as a metaphor for the Christian life. Why a cross? Well, because the cross is the ultimate symbol of suffering and shame. What Jesus means to communicate to us is that the Christian life, being a follower of Christ, living as a disciple of Christ, is not a walk in the park. It's not a matter of living your best life now as certain purveyors of the prosperity gospel would have us believe. No, it is a cross, and as such, it involves suffering and shame. Why? Well, the answer is because the world, led by Satan, hates Christ and his people, and they will do everything in their power to suppress and overcome them, as the disciples themselves would experience firsthand after the day of Pentecost. And Jesus knew this. He knew that his disciples would face opposition, and therefore he told them 
that following him would be like taking up a cross. There would be a cost to following Christ. It would involve shame and suffering. My friends, have you discovered that for yourselves? Well, to be sure, this cost of following Christ differs from one person to the next. Some people have to give up a lot for the sake of following Christ. Some must even face persecution and death. Others do not have to give up as much. But if we are living godly Christian lives, we all have to give up something. We might, for example, have to quit our job because our employer is requiring us to work or to travel on the Lord's Day. We may have to put up with the taunts and ridicules of our neighbors and people at work or the people we go to school with for how we live and what we believe. We may have to face financial hardship because we refuse to cheat on our taxes or work under the table. We may have to avoid certain company and even end certain relationships because they're not helping but hindering our Christian walk. The point is, there is a cost to following Christ. And what has following Christ cost you? My friend, if your faith has never cost you anything, that is a clear indication that you are not following Christ, at least not as faithfully and consistently as you should. And if that's the case, your religion is utterly worthless. Bishop J.C. Ryle of the last century writes, A religion which costs nothing is worth nothing. It will do us no good in the life that now is. It will lead to no salvation in the life to come. The third basic requirement for following Christ is going where he leads. Jesus says, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now notice what Jesus does not say. He does not say, walk beside me. He most certainly does not say, go ahead of me. But he says, follow me. Come behind me. In other words, Jesus is to be the leader. His disciples are to be the followers. We must go not where we want to go, but where he wants us to go. What is more, in the original Greek, the verb here is in the present tense, and that denotes an ongoing action. The idea is that following Christ is not a one-time thing. It is something we have to do again and again and again. We must continually follow Christ, <coughs> even to suffering and death. Now that too is contrary to our nature, isn't it? By nature, we don't want to follow, we want to lead. We want to do what we want to do. We want to go where we want to go. We want to think what we want to think. Peter's a case in point. After hearing Jesus say in the previous verses that he would suffer and die, Peter, in verse 32 of Mark 8, rebukes him and tells him that such things would never happen to him. What was going on here? Well, Peter thought that he knew better than Jesus. He thought that Jesus could accomplish his goals without having to suffer and die. Peter wanted to lead, and he wanted Jesus to follow. But Jesus says, no, he had to follow. Peter had to, Peter had to follow, and Jesus had to lead. 
And that's why after Peter rebuked Jesus, Jesus rebuked Peter and he said to him, Get behind me, Satan. Now why did Jesus say that? Why did he refer to Peter as Satan? Because at that particular moment, Peter was doing the work of Satan. He was seeking to prevent him from going to the cross. And as such, he was seeking to lead. But Jesus says no. Jesus would not allow that. If Peter was allowed to lead, then nothing would come of God's plan of redemption, and we would all perish in our sins. And Jesus understood that, and that's why he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Now, my friends, Jesus says the same to us. He says, If you want to be one of my disciples, you have to follow me. And the question comes, are you doing that? Are you following Jesus? Now, most of the time, that's not a problem. It's easy to follow Jesus when things are going well. It's easy to follow Jesus when he leads us in the green pastures and causes us to rest beside the still waters. But what about when he leads us into the valley of the shadow of death or some other trial or difficulty? Then it's not so easy to follow him. Then we begin to question the Lord. And like Peter, we begin to think that we know a better way. And sometimes we even go in that way only to find out later that it was not such a good way after all. Oh, how we need to learn time and time again to follow Jesus. My friends, he knows what he's doing. He knows the path that we should take, even if we think it's not the right path. Our task is to follow him, looking to him for grace and for strength. For a true disciple of Christ is one who follows him wherever he leads. And so Jesus sets forth these three basic requirements for following him. And now to encourage us, our Lord holds before us a reward. And that brings us to our second point. No, it's not easy to deny oneself, to take up one's cross, and to follow Christ. That involves, as we have seen, great self-sacrifice and even great suffering, perhaps even death. But Jesus goes on to suggest that this is far better than the alternative. For we read in verse 35, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Jesus here tells us that those who desire to save their life will lose it. And what he means is that those who live for the world and the things of the world... Those who do not repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and live for him and for his glory will lose everything in the end. Now we have a good illustration of that in the parable of the rich fool, which is recorded in Luke chapter 12. A man sowed his field and reaped a great harvest, Jesus says. In fact, he had such a good harvest that he did not have room to store his crops. And so what did he, what did he do? Well, he decided to pull down his existing barns and build even bigger barns. And that way, he said, he could sit back, take it easy, and enjoy life. But that night, God came to him and he said, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? And the rich man died, and he went to hell. And Jesus said, So is he who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. The point of the parable is this, that anyone who thinks that he can find ultimate joy and satisfaction in this world and the things of this world is deceiving himself. 
He may find joy and satisfaction for a time, but he will not in the time to come. And so, rather than save our life, Jesus says we should want to lose it. What does he mean by that? Well, to lose one's life for Christ's sake and the Gospels means to devote oneself completely to Christ. Negatively, it means to stop doing what we want to do and start doing what Christ wants us to do. It means to stop living the way I want to live and start living the way Christ wants me to live. Positively, it means devoting myself and everything that I am and everything that I have, my gifts, my talents, my possessions, my time, my money, all of it, to advance the kingdom of Christ and to promote his glory. And those who do this, Jesus says, will save their life. That is, they will enjoy blessings in this life as well as in the life to come. And then as if to reinforce what he's just said, Jesus asks us a rhetorical question. Now, a rhetorical question is a question for which the answer is obvious. He asks in verse 36, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, the soul is the most precious thing we possess far more precious than anything that this world has to offer. So what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying that nothing in this life can compare to the value of your soul. If you could enjoy all the pleasures that this world has to offer and lose your own soul, it wouldn't be worth it. Why not? Because the things of the world do not last, nor can you take them with you when you die. But the soul lives forever, either in heaven or in hell. And since that is so, Jesus rightly says, nothing is worth more than your soul. It is far, far better to live in such a way as to save your soul than to lose it. Oh, my friend, do you realize that today? Some of you are living as though this world is all that there is. You slave from sunup to sundown. And for what? For something that will not last. For something that will not satisfy. And Jesus is saying to us, what's the point of that? Why lose your soul for something that doesn't last? For something that doesn't satisfy? Nothing is worth more than your soul. And therefore the choice is obvious. We must live for Christ. And Christ alone. Well, my friend, what about you today? What choice are you making? Are you choosing to live for this world and the things of this world? Or are you choosing to live for Christ? Have you lost your life for Christ's sake and the Gospels? Or are you still trying to save your life? J.C. Ryle again writes this. He says, Of all unprofitable and foolish bargains that man can make, the worst is that of giving up his soul's salvation for the sake of this present world. It is a bargain of which thousands, like Esau, who sold his birthright for a mess of pottage, have repented. 
But many unhappily, like Esau, have repented too late. O congregation, dear friends, do not make the same mistake that Esau made. Jim Elliot, the renowned American missionary to the Indians in Ecuador, once said this. He said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. My friend, do you believe that today? Don't be a fool. Choose to live for Christ. You will never regret it. And so Jesus sets forth a gracious reward for following him. But he also reminds us that there will be a great reckoning. And that brings us to our third and final point. Our Lord has presented us with two options. We can either keep on living for ourselves and this life, or we can live for Christ and the life to come. Well, as a further incentive to that end, he issues a solemn warning. He says in verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus here describes the world in which we live as an adulterous and sinful generation. And isn't that true? Just look at what's happening in our world today. Sin abounds on every side. It truly is an adulterous and sinful generation. Now, in the midst of this generation, Jesus says there are those who are ashamed of him. He's probably referring here to professing Christians. Yes, professing Christians can sometimes be ashamed of Christ. You say, how? Well, when they don't follow him. When they live for the world rather than live for Christ. There are examples of this in the Bible. We can think of David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Or we can think of Peter when he denied the Lord three times. Both were believers. David himself was a man after God's own heart even. But at that particular moment, they were ashamed of Christ. They cared more about themselves than about the glory of God. And Jesus says if such people do not repent, he will be ashamed of them. And he will be ashamed of them, he says, when the Son of Man comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now Jesus here is speaking, of course, of the day of judgment. He's reminding us that the day is coming when the Lord Jesus Christ, who is now seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven, will come again in the glory of his Father, together with the holy angels to judge the living and the dead. When that day comes, everything that we have ever done and every idle word that we have ever spoken will be revealed, and we shall be judged according to what we have done and said in this life. And those, he says, who were ashamed of him in this life, in other words, those who chose to live for themselves and their own pleasure, of them Christ himself will be ashamed. Jesus speaks of that in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And then he goes on to say this, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus here is describing what will happen on the day of judgment. On that day, he says, there will be many who will claim a relationship with Jesus. 
That's why they repeat his name, Lord, Lord. In Bible times, to repeat someone's name is an expression of endearment and familiarity. And that's what's happening here. These people claimed to be on familiar terms with Jesus. But they weren't. Why not? Because they were ashamed of him. And he, in turn, will be ashamed of them. What a warning there is here for us. My friend, are you ashamed of Jesus? Are you one who, when faced with a choice between doing what you want to do and doing what he wants you to do, you end up doing what you want to do? If so, then you're ashamed of him. And if you continue to be ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of you. Now, maybe somebody says, well, I must confess that there are times in my life when I am ashamed of Christ, when I don't live for him, when I don't love him and serve him and proclaim him the way that I should. But does that mean that he will be ashamed of me on the day of judgment? Well, not if you truly repent. When Peter denied the Lord, he too was ashamed of Christ. But when the rooster crowed, he went out and wept bitterly. And the Lord saw his tears, and he forgave him and restored him and commissioned him to feed his sheep. The same was true for David. When Nathan the prophet confronted him with his sin, what did David do? He repented. And we have a record of his repentance in Psalm 51. And the Lord forgave him. And my friend, the same is true for you and for me. Like Peter and David, we too may find ourselves in situations where we are ashamed of Christ. But when we truly repent, then he will also forgive and restore us to himself. Well, dear friends, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It means to put him first, to go anywhere, to suffer any hardship for him. Does that describe you today? Are you a follower of Jesus? Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you have heard today, won't you please take a moment and let us know. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X, 2M9. Or you can give me a call at 778-982-9102. If you would like to listen to the message you have just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. If you would like more information about our churches, including who we are, what we believe, and where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, 
Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can visit the donations section of our webpage at banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. For that reason, we urge you not to use this or other radio programs as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a local church. Thank you for listening, and now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.